Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada Land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting-edge, state-of-the-art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca slash canadaland to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace. Whether you need a landing page, a beautiful gallery, a professional blog, or an online store, it is all included with your Squarespace website. Start your free trial today at squarespace.com. Use the offer code CANADALAND and you'll get 10% off of your first purchase. I'm going to read to you now from a Twitter essay that uh, was written by Karen Burroughs, a media scholar. Here goes. There's the show I've been awaiting for years. Neat premise, great Canadian talent, new and established, in front of and behind the camera. It finally drops. I start watching Wham! U.S. Geography. U.S. Politics. This is not what I signed up for. I am goddamn tired of being made invisible in my own media. Here is what this trend tells me. The Canadian market is unnecessary, inaccessible, or assumed indistinguishable from the U.S. We are not worth being targeted even by our own work. I don't think this is true, yet it's how we're treated. 
This has an effect. It makes us into a non-entity, one that others can project their fantasies and beliefs on. How else to explain both the left and right-wing Americans playing the move to Canada card? They don't know us. We have not given them narratives about us from which to learn. We must stop disguising our stories. I think viewers want stories about specific places. And we need reasons to invest emotionally, culturally, in the media we are producing. Anyway, looking forward to the new Anne of Green Gables. I assume it will be set in Maine. Okay, so those are the highlights uh, from Karen Burroughs' Twitter essay. And it sparked a dialogue with Canadian screenwriters. It was probably the most thorough and thoughtful criticism of uh, why it matters that we never set our shows in Canada. And so I asked Karen Burroughs if she'd be available to talk with me about it in more detail, and she'll be with me in a moment. Wait for it. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Holly Pike, Wayne Maybe, Leslie Weldrake, Michael Vernon, Carol Linnett, Jonathan Fiddler, Mark A. Rayner, and Wendy Davis Johnson. Wendy, why did you decide to be awesome? Because as a Bermudian with deep Canadian roots, Canada Land keeps me in touch with Canada through its frank and fearless reporting and often irreverent opinion. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, It's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems... And just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does Help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. Right now, there is an opioid crisis. Right now, there is a mental health crisis. But right now, it is Mental Health Week. And what that means is you can do something about these crises. You can help people. You can help CAMH save lives. They offer treatment with dignity, and they are doing cutting-edge research. I don't know if anybody listening to this is untouched by this crisis. You can see it in the downtown of every city in this country. You certainly feel it in Toronto. This is not something happening to other people. These are our friends. These are our communities, our families. We are all touched by addiction. We are all touched by the mental health crisis, and we all share responsibility to do something about it. Helping CAMH is something you can do about it. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where nobody is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help them treat addiction and build hope. This episode is also brought to you by Squarespace. Whether you need a landing page, a beautiful gallery, a professional blog, or an online store, it is all included with your Squarespace website. To make a website on Squarespace is very easy. There is a very simple and intuitive process. You just arrange your content and your features with a few clicks of your mouse. You get a free custom domain 
when you sign up for a year. The templates are beautiful. You just adapt them for your needs. There are seamless commerce tools. If you are running your business off of Squarespace, you are in good company. There are hundreds of thousands of businesses, small and, and very large, that use Squarespace for their e-commerce. And you'll get customer support 24-7. All of Squarespace's customer care people are in-house. They, they work in a Squarespace office. Start your free trial today at squarespace.com. Use the offer code CanadaLand. You will get 10% off of your first purchase. Why does it matter whether or not some hour-long procedural cop show is explicitly set in Toronto or not? Who cares? <laughs> uh, well, I do, clearly. Um, <laughs> because that's one of the, you know, the, the rant came from watching a, a Canadian program a Canadian-made program, and getting partway into it and discovering that all of a sudden it was talking about U.S. politics. This is a show that you wrote, you were waiting for, you were anticipating you very excitedly. It comes out and wah-wah, again, they've done this weird Canuck-washing thing. And I, you know, I got into this show and all of a sudden it was no longer talking to me yeah. was the problem. I felt cut out by it. And I said a little bit on Twitter that it feels like not just a, a personal erasure, but an erasure of our power as consumers. Mm -hmm. I think there's sort of two issues that feed into each other here, which are Canadians don't feel confident enough to engage in their own media, their own culture. Uh, because we don't engage in our culture, we don't show up in the numbers that will make it profitable. So companies don't make media for Canada because they see they can't make a profit because the audience doesn't engage in it. Yeah. And so on and so forth. So that's the core of the rant that I made, which is actually, it's seated in experiences I had while I was living in England. Uh, I was there for six years. And outside of being asked to say sorry a lot so that people could hear my accent, I was really shocked at how little England knows about Canada. And like, you'd think we're part of the Commonwealth. You'd think there might be some sort of reciprocal knowledge. But I got asked questions like, are there prairies in Canada? Um, does Canada celebrate Christmas at the same time as we do? I mean, this is, you know, basic knowledge um, mm -hmm. that I was shocked to see, you know, well-educated people, people I was encountering at the university, asking me these questions, students and friends. Our narrative doesn't exist outside of Canada because we make television and film either for ourselves, in which case we maybe speak about small elements of our experience or we make it generic in the hopes that it will appeal to the massive elephant next door it's interesting that you bring up the uk because of course I, i've been there twice for like three days at a time my knowledge of the uk is completely based on the fact that they make hyper specific stories about themselves i enjoyed the office and it was said in slow i think and I have some idea of that as uh, I, I create a mental geography of like, okay, that's like a very gray, dank, bureaucratic, just, you know, uh, it is the equivalent, it is the British equivalent of uh, a sprawling suburb of uh, Pennsylvania. So when they make, they make the American office, you know, mm -hmm. you know, now I've got that uh, Scranton equals slough. And then I watch, you know, you know, be it like Velvet Goldmine or if I'm, you know, whatever I know about, you know, oh, Manchester and all these different like places of the mine and oh, what London was like in the 60s. It's all through the stories that they tell about themselves. Very little of it actually is through. You can get a lot from news media about what happens in a place, but the feeling of a place. Yeah, the, the sense of a place, the sense of 
knowledge and the sense of difference like, within mm-hmm. a country. And again, like I lived there, so a lot of my a lot of my thoughts about what I wish we could do in Canada are based on some of the stuff that I did see happening in England, specifically in England, in the UK and more in general as well. And I know it's not that like there's no way for it to be a straight comparison just in terms of of numbers. Like we're so much smaller of a market. I mean, we I think Manchester might actually have more television households than Canada does. Just Manchester. A lot of the stuff that's been exported that I think is really excellent and that I think is really place-based in the north of England has all been done mostly by one production company, like Queer as Folk, uh, Scott and Bailey, Happy Valley is Uh all coming out of Red Production Company. And that basically came out of Nicola Schindler saying, we need to tell different stories. I'm going to create a production company to do that. I love that show, Happy Valley. Isn't it brilliant? And and the place is a character. It's both it, like it's kind of beautiful that, that town, and but then you also get the sense of menace that these crime stories are are placed in, and how it's kind of stultifying uh, such a provincial little existence could be. And and I don't know, just the the town and the surrounding farm area. It, it all becomes part of of the show. Yeah, and one of the things that you can do in England that you can't do as much here uh, is. The voice, the accent becomes a part of that specificity. I mean, I came up with a handful on Twitter, excellently produced, excellently acted, excellently written, that are shows that are so place specific that they're named after that place. So Happy Valley is one. Like mm-hmm. that's, Happy Valley is the nickname for the Caldershire Valley where it takes place. Wentworth was an Australian example. It's Wentworth Prison, which is it's a prison show. It's like the Australian equivalent of Orange is the New Black. Um Oh, I had a whole bunch and I've What'd forgotten them all. Borgen. Borgen, yeah, of course. Borgen and the bridge. Uh, I cannot pronounce them pro- properly. Um, but those are, you know, foreign shows. They're dubbed or subbed. Mostly we get them now subtitled rather than dubbed. But again, like Borgen is a, a colloquialism in Denmark for their parliament, effectively, the Christianborg Palace. Yeah. Um, the bridge is, you know, it's so specific. It's that specific bridge that bridges Denmark and Sweden. Yeah. You know, you don't even need to name the place. I mean, if you had have told me that I would end up watching, like, season after season of an hour-long drama about Danish parliament. Right. You know? But if it's good and people talk about it, that actually kind of flips. And you're, and you're like, oh, all right. The intrigue of the political drama as we know it, you know, typically it's an American thing. Uh, it actually became kind of a point of attraction to see like, oh, yeah, it's actually this like kind of familiar in a way because it's all about the the coalition governments and all these weird fringe parties. It's not an American political story, you know, and you can find the threads that that, uh, speak to a Canadian experience, but it's not that either. And then you get like, then their weird relationship with Greenland is the focal Mm -hmm. point of an episode. Yeah, that one was so, we could, you could relate to that so much as a Canadian in terms of indigenous politics here. It was a mixture of things that you could relate to and also that you're learning something about a place that's completely foreign. I wish that I could get somebody at a high level. I've, you know, I've, I've, I've had experiences in the Canadian TV industry, and I've spoken to people who work in it, and I, I, I know that it is definitely common wisdom. It's, it's accepted knowledge that like don't set it in Canada. You're, you're making it harder to sell. I'd love to know if there's like numbers behind that because like maybe we're talking about these little boutique Netflix and cable dramas, which are everybody loves to talk about because they're they're you know it's the golden age of television. These are the best shows on TV. But Canada has done well making these sort of generic summer replacement American network I mean, shows. What done well is kind of a 
financially, which is what they care about. And in, in if, if we're talking about, you know, your rookie blues or saving hopes or those kind of, uh, hospital shows, cop shows, where those almost seem like they are designed to not have a sense of place. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're, they're fulfilling a market need that is not about that, like the show you're going to binge watch on Netflix, but it's a show that you can sell to an American network. Yeah, that seems take, to be our niche, you know. That'll follow those endless NCIS repeats, right? Yeah. Um, it's interesting, like uh, Mark Ellis, when I started talking about this on Twitter, Mark Ellis was talking a little bit about Flashpoint. Tell us a bit about Mark Ellis for people. Uh, Mark Ellis is one of the sort of preem- preeminent showrunners at the time in Canadian television. Flashpoint was, I think, around 2010. It was a cop drama. Yeah, one set of these. That was actually more or less set in Toronto. Uh-huh. Uh, and now he's working on X Company, which is a CBC spy drama. Flashpoint, he was saying, wasn't Canadian because of where it was set, but because our cops didn't use guns, I believe, is the quote that he used. Uh, but it was interesting to look back. Like, I, Flashpoint came out while I wasn't in the country, so I haven't actually seen much of it. So I went to look it up. Uh, and it turns out, from what I understand, there was some U.S. buy-in for about the first season or so. And then that slipped out and it slowly became more regionalized as it went on. Right. So I think it would be really fascinating to look at look at that show and say, when did it become Canadian and when did that American money go away? Well, what you call Canadian is interesting too, because to me that rings a little hollow that just the fact that they don't have guns means much. There's an interesting parallel to that, which is Trailer Park Boys, a show that never mentioned a Canadian locale, but which did have, I think, hyper-regionality mm-hmm. in the types of characters that it was uh, lampooning and, and you know portraying. And it was an interesting one. It sort of it, it hit that mark for viewers where that we're talking about earlier, where everybody kind of just assumed that it was the trailer park in their community. So if you lived in the American South or if you lived in the Midwest, people were like, oh yeah, I know guys like that. Mm-hmm. But that was about Atlantic Canada poverty. Poverty. It was about Atlantic Canada trailer parks. You know, um, it was a send up of that. That I think that you know the, the accents did creep in uh, or were overtly mimicked, uh, and th- that kind of culture was what was made fun of in that show. Mm-hmm. And when I'm talking, when I say Flashpoint became Canadian, I, I should say I don't mean that the show itself became Canadian. I didn't mean the setting became recognizably Canadian. Right. I don't want to say that's the only thing that makes a show Canadian. I don't think that's true. Well, that's, I guess that's a question we've been struggling with in ways that I've, I've usually found asinine, what makes a show Canadian. And it's interesting that these funding bodies that are complicit with these kind of, you know, uh, Canuck-washed, you know, uh, gener- genericized shows are like bean counting, like, well, how many people in the cast are Canadian mm-hmm. and uh, the writing team and where, you know, you get points if, the, you know, if we're going to give you funding, it's considered CanCon. But no, no point in that process, I believe, do they take into account where the show is set. Which I actually find quite fascinating. Like that's, this is our national myth, right? Like television is now uh, where people learn. We don't, like news comes on television, uh, stories come on television, connections come on television. And when I say television, I'm sort of eliding. I mean the type of television we get over the internet as well. Yeah. Like whether it's digital or and consumed on our phone, or whether we're still sitting down in front of the goggle box. I know we're struggling the, for uh, it's, it's a you know, scripted video content, right? Yeah, uh, and non-scripted too, to an extent. Yeah, well, I think that a lot of you know a lot of the, these blanks are getting filled in by by the internet. And you know, I used to know the guy who was uh, chief of policy at, at, at Google Canada, and he was always under fire from the Canadian television industry, saying, well, "Why aren't you guys paying your dues into the system?" Uh, why aren't you funding Canadian, you know, CanCon on YouTube? 
Mm-hmm. And his retort to that was like he actually did a statistical analysis uh, and he found that there is more CanCon being produced and consumed on YouTube than on all of the Canadian networks combined by, you know, an exponential factor. Yeah. So but if if, it, if, if our TV industry, Canadian? well, that's just right? it is that, is that, you know, there was a time when I was thinking, you know, I, I just sort of started to learn about uh, the oil sands. And I said, well, this is fascinating. Like, what is what is it like to live in Fort Mac? Mm. And you, you can't find a Canadian drama that will tell you that, but you could find YouTube clips. Yeah. And it was bonkers what I saw. And, and this, it had that kind of, it was real, you know. I mean, there's Ice Road Truckers, which I guess would probably be the closest thing, which is a, I don't, do you know about that? Sure, which yeah. Which is a reality, sort of a reality show. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's that, you know, you don't have that specificity. And I think that's certainly, like that specifically, Fort Mac and the oil sands is a narrative that would be, that we're on a tipping point, that if you put something out there, I think you could certainly find a market for it. I think you could do right. something like Deadwood, but but it's mm. Fort Mac. I mean, when you think about the way that that that, that community, uh, like the uh, what is the sex trade like? What are the what's the migrant worker situation? What is it like on the uh, oil projects versus in yeah, town? Living in the camps. Living in the camps. Yeah. I know there's a, a crystal meth. Like if you really went hard, not like in some exploitative way, but just like what is this actually? And what is it when it's that that gold rush mentality when everyone? Yeah. Uh, and then you know the, you could lead up. I, I you could do like a multi season thing leading up to the fire. I mean, I like, I would be fascinated to watch that show. And what's interesting is the best sort of media commentary I've seen on life in the oil sands has actually come from Kate Beaton, who's a cartoonist. Her uh, Ducks cartoon, which she's talking about building into a larger, a larger text. Um, And so we've got, I think there's a little bit more freedom sort of in writing and cartooning than there necessarily is yet in television and film, which is possibly because TV and film are now in that sort of the rise of the creator owned in a way that comics and self-publishing had sort of five years ago. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, I, I know that Kate, I think, has received funding to go to Fort Mac to to do more work, to do more comics about the, oh, brilliant. about it there. So I look forward to that. But yeah, it does seem like if you were kind of into the the auteur side of comics, where people somebody was like drawing and writing their, entirely, like that now feels like the way we talk about TV creators. Mm-hmm. And I notice a lot of comics, Canadian comics creators who are now... Uh, moving to the States to work down there, which is part of what I think we see coming out of this this lack of Canadian cultural, you know, media production. Uh, we've got, you know, a media brain drain where we used to have a science brain drain. Yeah. Well, we've always, always had the media brain drain, I guess. I think <laughs> we just I, have yeah. brain drain across the field. <laughs> I feel like it's becoming more, and it, again, maybe just because we can see the creators more, like we see them on Twitter or on social media, and we've become to, come to know the creators more intimately. But I see that brain drain happening happening a lot more. Um, one thing your your Twitter essay really brought my attention to is this tension between Canadian moral high ground that. Because we have basically been able to become a non-entity, we're just sort of brand generic, whether you're – whether it's Brexit or you're fleeing Trump or whatever, you're going to Canada because nobody, nobody even knows who we are. Mm-hmm. And do you think we kind of like that? 
Because when we talk about what's actually interesting, I mean, narrative comes out of conflict. And if you talk about what's actually interesting and make a list of like, here are the Canadian stories that like, if we get away from the cheerleading side, like let's, let's set the cop show in Canada because that's where the funding comes from and we're going to, no, if you're actually going to look at it as like, where are the interesting stories, it's going to be about these tensions we discussed in Fort Mac. You might set something in a remote indigenous community that's facing mm-hmm. really unique problems. I would be fascinated to see a show like that. You know, in comedy, we, we talked on the show recently about Baroness Von Sketch because it's a lampoon of the, of the kind of ridiculous manners of Toronto uh, upper middle class. You could do something in like making fun of the hipsters in mile end you could do a great show there but it's all sides of us that is not compatible with this canada we're progressive and wonderful come move here if you hate your own politics Mm. uh do you think that we are avoiding telling the real stories because they might not make us look good what i worry about is that we don't even get to that point where we say what stories can we tell about ourselves um because instead I, you know, I wonder and I have spoken to some people in production anecdotally who've said, oh, we didn't even think about setting this in Canada. We just thought we'd just go for the generica version of it. I wonder if those stories are getting stifled before they begin because writers think, oh, I can't I can't sell that. Mm-hmm. So I'll do something else. Yeah. Um, but I do think we see Canadianisms or Canadian beliefs come out in, you know, Canadian written shows that are taking place across the U.S. Like so many, so, so many of the American shows now have Canadian staff, like Canadian writing staff. Mm -hmm. And I think you certainly see elements of Canadian beliefs coming out in that. You you, you made some original uh, points that I hadn't heard before about this topic, but the lament that you expressed is one that I've heard many times before. Yeah, and I've certainly expressed it many times too. I'm glad that it sort of caught fire at this point, though. It's nice to see it. Repeated again and again. But yes. it definitely comes up, you know, quarterly. Definitely. And it was nice to see some uh, Canadian screenwriters engage with what you were saying. And the, the pool of people who they have to be worried about it offending is so small and can make so many decisions that I've, mm-hmm. I found that almost more than anyone, it's hard to get people from Canadian television to come on the show and just talk about the problems in their industry. But the production sector is just being hammered and and they're greenlighting fewer things than ever before. And the CRTC laws are such that like they have no idea what their own future holds. And uh, everyone is just sort of waiting for the other shoe to drop to see if there even is a Canadian TV industry. Mm-hmm. Like, is there any hope of us? Uh, I mean, we're going back to Richard Sturzberg when he was running English services at the CBC saying this is the golden age of television <laughs> with reference to like the Sopranos and we're going to be a part of it. Yeah. And that didn't go anywhere. And I feel like we're just, we are, we are missing out on that golden age. We have not contributed. I think, you know, we've made some texts that are like Durham County was one of the ones that I brought up because it's one of the, it's one of those place name shows. And I think it really anticipated a lot of what's happening now by a a couple of years. Remind us a bit about that. Uh, Durham County is, was again, sort of 2009, 2010 era a uh, Canadian television show starring Hugh Dillon, as so many of them do. Uh, and it was set uh, southern Ontario. And Hugh Dillon was a, I believe he was a cop who left the big city to move his family to a small town. And then, you know, the small town has horrific undertones and evil arises and it's personal evil. And Hugh Dillon and his family must rise above and deal with that. And I actually, I haven't... Uh, I remember very clearly this show because I I haven't been able to finish the second season because I found it so traumatic to watch. Like, it was so psychologically dark Uh and terrifying, so I haven't actually finished it. 
Durham County is sort of the happy valley of Canada. And I'm amazed that it's not available. Uh, it's, uh, it's not on, as far as I know, it's not on Netflix. I don't believe it's on Netflix Canada. I'm not sure if it's on Netflix anywhere else. But I certainly haven't seen, I'd certainly pit it against, you know, the best of it was, Sorry. and you said you think it was maybe just a little bit too soon. It was ahead of its time. I think so. Uh, and the um, the the team behind that are actually the team who are behind the upcoming Anne of Green Gables, which I'm really excited about uh, because I feel like I feel like that's a very smart move by Canadian television because a because it's this team that has that I've seen do really strong things, but b because it's a story that's already known for being Canadian. Like I joked on Twitter, oh, I'm looking forward to Anne of Green Gables. I'm sure they'll set it in Maine. Uh, but you can't because too they, many people already know it. They might. <laughs> they might. I could be proven wrong. I hope I'm not. But I think it's already so indelibly Canadian that you can't, you don't, A, you can't remove it. And B, you, we won't have to spend time sort of emphasizing the Canadianness of it. We can just make good television. Yeah. Which I think sometimes becomes an issue. How do you make a, you know, how do you make a show good and Canadian? Well, this one you just need to make good. It's already Canadian. You sort of like point to something that I think is, is one of the problems you run up against when you when you really try to describe a place and get it right is casting. And mm. I think that we have a system in Canada where actors are really encouraged to be as generic as possible to remove any kind of regional affect or uh, any kind of specificity because, you know, you want to get as much American work as you can. Canadians sort of like thrive in even in American news broadcasting because they're just like, you know, the man from nowhere, the person with no accent. They're just sort of like. And of course, like you know, America is picking up Canadian accents as well. Like there's border bleed. So it's becoming even more. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think as a result, when you go to cast and you're going through people who are in Actra and who the casting agents are going to send to you and you wanted to say to, to actually describe a small community in the interior of BC, like you would have a hell of a time like, like, to actually get people who get it and will get it right would be very difficult. Yeah. And when you mention casting in relation to Anne of Green Gables, like the last time I actually went on uh, a Twitter rant like this, which didn't you know, garner quite as much attention, was a few months ago when I saw a casting call for Anne and it, the note said, you know, we're sending this worldwide. And I thought, well, my God, why? Like, you're you're doing Anne of Green Gables, for the love of God, cast a, cast a Canadian. Yeah, cast a Maritimer, you'd hope. Ideally, yeah. But, I, you know, I looked at that and it goes back to what you said, you know, maybe they're allowed to have, you know, one American for this show and you want it to be Anne? Like, why would you do that? Uh-huh. It just, it boggles the mind, but... And it makes me really angry because, again, this is, you know, this is writing ourselves out of our own narratives. It's, it'd be one thing. Like, they don't care. Like, there's no sense that there's even, like, a concern. And they don't care because there's no money. Yeah. And, and they don't care because often if you're, you know, if you're on the production side of things and you're putting together a budget, from what I hear, a lot of the time, the Canadian money will be the last to agree. Like, you'll have to have so much else in line before you can get. Yeah, before you can get money from anywhere in Canada. Yeah. Well, so you've got that industry that's just like reeling from its own problems and existential crisis. And just this is just some academic thing that I don't think that the people making decisions are even concerned about. And then you've got from left field somebody like Lily Singh uh, coming on to YouTube. And I think she's going to cross 100 million subscribers. And she's doing funny, funny stuff that is uh, making fun of the types of people 
who she sees in her community, who the, the type of guys, and she she does she has a character that's a she has a male character. She does her mom, and it's very regionally specific. But she's got a huge following in India, mm-hmm. though I think she's born and raised in Canada. There's like huge billboards of her in Times Square now. Like she's uh, totally hops, like just leapfrogged our system, if not the entire TV system, mm-hmm. because it's all digital. And uh, she's writing her own ticket now. I think you know you 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 can't suppress people's desire, their need to express themselves and to and to tell stories. Like that's really essential. And I think that the reason why these regional Canadian stories are so often told in the canlit novel or the graphic novel is because TV has been a closed door. Mm-hmm. But now there's this other way of of telling you know scripted video content that <laughs> you know where you don't have to go and pitch to somebody uh, around the corner from us right here in downtown Toronto. Yeah, which is fantastic. And I mean, it's that disruption that I that is it's it's reverberating throughout all television right now, like yeah. whether it's made in America or Canada or Sweden or or the UK. And that's actually what gives me a little bit of hope for the future. Are we going to start seeing ri- the rise of stuff like collaborations directly with Netflix? So, I mean, right I, now we're doing Alias Grace yeah, with Netflix. And Sarah Pauly's adaptation of the Margaret Atwood uh, story, yeah. that, that's, uh, that's going to be Netflix. Yeah, and it's fil- which is filming now. And I understand Netflix has a fairly small stake in that. And, I mean, Netflix is a weird partner anyways because of the its refusal to pay tax in Canada right now. But Netflix does regional very well. Like, they pick up Happy Valley – um, they've picked up a number of those sort of place-specific. Marseille is another one which didn't, wasn't very good, but it's another one of those sort of place name shows. And they shoot done. it around the world. I mean, yeah. if you, if you, I know that when they move into a market, they like to do some stuff that's, it's maybe it's a sop to their new conquest, but they, they, you know, they, they'll buy some Canadian content. Mm-hmm. But if so, but once you're sort of on their network and they're analyzing the data, if it's doing well. They'll make it available in libraries around the world. And suddenly, you know, like the the number of homes that you get access to if you're in the Netflix library is kind of staggering. Yeah. And I mean, one like Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries is another Australian show that has had a meteoric rise just because of Netflix. And Netflix has increased the number of of areas where it's available. And it's been a hit in most of them. So to see Alias Grace get done on Netflix gives me, again, hope that it it can retain that region-specific element. Because, like, Alias Grace itself is not a story that you couldn't tell elsewhere. Like, it is, it's a piece of Canadian history, but, you know, you could take, you could take the basics of it and place it in America. Mm -hmm. But it's shooting in Toronto, it's filmed by, or it's helmed by Sarah Pauly, and it's got Netflix money rather than sort of American network money. Mm -hmm. And I'm hoping that things like that may become more common and may give us space to tell stories that don't have to look to American networks for that sort of top-up funding, as it were. I would desperately love to see Supernatural Canadiana, more Supernatural, specifically set in Canada. So I think which would look at Indigenous myths, which would look at, uh, you know, different cultural myths. That's the sort of thing that I'd like to see play out more on our television. What I see now in terms of good quality Canadian television seems to be very historical based at the moment. Like Frontier is coming up on that's Discovery Channel's first scripted drama, and that's a fur, tra- fur trade era. Uh, X Company, which I mentioned before, is set in World War II. Bomb Girls was a World War II. We had Strange Empire, which was like 1890s. Mm-hmm. Why are we getting, you know, 
we're getting stuff like Kim's Convenience next season, which I think is going to be great. But I want to see Canada today as well, rather than just what we used to be known for. That's your Canada Land Show. Hope you liked it. You can email me. I'm at jesse at canadalandshow.com. Our Twitter account is at CanadaLand, and our website is canadalandshow.com. Our crowdfunding site is patreon.com slash canadaland. Shortcuts and commons are off this week. The Imposter Episode 2 will be out on Wednesday. And Wednesday, the 3rd of August, is also the night that The Imposter is doing its first live taping at the Gladstone Hotel. I am not sure if by the time you are listening to this there will be any tickets left, but you can certainly check our Facebook and webpage to find out. This show is produced by Katie Jensen. Syndication of Canada Land to community and campus radio stations across this country is handled by Russell Gregg. If you like what we do, please support us. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.